Jesus continues in his sermon, uh, Matthew 6, verse 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then up to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's God's word for us this morning. Back in the years leading up to World War II, there was a man who made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions that would become the pillars of his new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He he showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew the strength for his great work from its scores of pious people, welcomed him as a man from God. Indeed, Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity with no inward reality. And that's what Jesus is talking about in our verses. Don't be like the hypocrites, he says. Hypocrites are people who are faking it religiously. Outward forms of religion, but no inner reality. They say the right things, they do the right things, but their hearts do not belong to the Lord. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for an actor on a stage. As a family, we saw uh, a preschool end-of-year play a couple weeks ago. It was really cute. The kids played parts. Uh, Our little Adriana was a puppy. She barked. She jumped up and down. We knew she was acting. It was very obvious. It's not as obvious to tell if someone is acting religiously. But it's every bit as possible for that to happen today in the church as it did in Jesus' day. In contrast to hypocrisy, Jesus gives us three signs of what a real Christian looks like. We give in secret, we pray in secret, 
and we train in secret. Verse 1 says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. What are acts of righteousness? Righteousness is what a holy God calls us to do. It's being morally pure and right, free from sin and guilt. If we're all sinners, how can we do any acts of righteousness ever? Well, the answer is only through Jesus' righteousness. That's why he came. That's why he went to the cross to earn for us a righteousness which saves us from our sins and puts us on the road of right living. That righteousness can be yours this morning through faith in Jesus. And so in Christ, you can be the real deal. If we try to do it on our own, we'll have to fake it. The hypocrite doesn't know Jesus. The religious actor hasn't given Jesus her heart. But those who give Jesus their hearts, they can be the real deal because you're doing it through Jesus' strength, through Jesus' power. Three signs of an authentic Christian. The first is this, we give in secret. That's verses 2 through 4. Jesus doesn't command his followers here to give to the needy. He's assuming that we do. And this is simply a non-negotiable part of Christian living, giving to those in need. And it always has been. I've mentioned this before, but people in ancient times who didn't know the Lord or follow him, they were generous with their bodies and they were tight-fisted with their money. And the same is true when you look at society today. But followers of God from ancient times forward are strict with their bodies and generous with their money. We give generously, especially to those in need. And the complexities of our society, we need, I think, to have all sorts of conversations on how best to give to those in need. We don't want to help people remain in poverty in the type of giving. If if you haven't read the book, When Helping Hurts, I've mentioned it several times, if you haven't read the book, When Helping Hurts, and you care about this sort of stuff, you care about poverty, you should read it. It talks about how many of the ways in our society in which we try to help the poor, and as we do it as a church even, may actually be hurting the poor, helping to keep people in poverty. But just because it's a challenge and there are complexities, it doesn't mean we shouldn't give to those in need. Having compassion, it's, it's part of being a follower of Jesus. I, I, and I'll tell you this, a little bit more on this, if you're uncertain about how to give and where in this issue of giving to those in need, use the channels that we have together as a church. We have a benevolent fund. Our deacons are very careful and thoughtful about how that money is used. They don't just throw that money away. And also through our general fund giving, you're giving to people in need through portions of our denominational ministry shares. And there are other ministries like the one this morning that we have offerings for occasionally that are vetted by our deacons. I think the very wisest way you can give to the needy as we want to as Christians is through your church. Verses 3 and 4 then say kind of an odd thing about that. 
we are to give in secret. And Jesus talks about the hypocrites announcing their giving uh, with trumpets in the street so everyone knows, big giver coming. It's unlikely that this literally happened. This is probably Jesus using hyperbole, exaggerated language, to make a point. And the point is clear. When you give, don't blow your own horn. Don't announce it. Do it quietly. No one needs to know. We don't do it for the praise of others. Think of people with their their names on a building or on a list of donors or, or on a plaque on the hospital wall or wherever. And you think, what would happen to charitable giving in our country if there were no awards or plaques or listings of donors? If no one's name was revealed, I'd be scared to wonder how far it would drop off. Jesus says, another example of hyperbole, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and you think about writing out your, your check. You can't do that. That's, that's impossible. You, you can't do something with your right hand and not know what you're doing. But the point is this. Forget about it. Don't use this to puff yourself up. Don't pat yourself on the back for this. It's like uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus' parable, the sheep and the goats. At the end of time, Jesus is talking to all those people who helped those in need. People in prison, the hungry, the sick. And, and he was affirming what they did. And they said, Lord, well, when did we help you? Well, one way to look at that is they, they did the right thing and then they forgot about it. They did what Jesus called them to do, but didn't make a big deal of it. And that's the point of giving in secret. Second sign, we're the real deal. We pray in secret. This is verses 5 through 8, and we stopped when it got up to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We might pick that up in the coming weeks. We'll see. That praying is a non-negotiable for a believer, I think, would make sense to all of us. But then we're told to pray in secret. The hypocrites, says Jesus, like people to know they're praying. They do it in public. They make it obvious. Long prayers, many words. Seems to be all about the show. Jesus says, go in your room, close the door. And the word for room there is a a private room, maybe one with no windows. Just to stop there, I mean, it's interesting to notice that sin is so malicious that it can hit us right in the most sacred of things in our lives. Sin is can get at us even in prayer. And someone has said the most noble thing a human being can do is to be calling out to our God in prayer. And even in that highest and noblest of our activities, Satan tempts, Satan tries to get in there and take our focus away uh, on ourselves or on others. You think sometimes, you know, that if you really want to see sin and, and, and Satan and evil, you got to go to the gutters of society Let's, let's think about the drug dealers and, and the criminals. But you know what? We also see Satan and what he's all about when God's own son went into the desert to fast and pray. And that's when he tempted Jesus. And we don't have to go any further than our own hearts to see Satan up close. He attacks us even while we're praying. And I think 
what a reminder of how much each one of us needs the Lord. We're so weak. We want to fight sin and temptation and evil in the world. Good. Yes, we should. But don't neglect being vigilant right in your own home, right in your own family, right in your own heart, in your own prayer closet. Some people think when Jesus says, when you pray, it should be translated whenever you pray, and that Jesus is steering people away from how the hypocrites made prayer an empty ritual, certain ways, certain times. For example, for mealtimes, the Pharisees got so, they, they, how many extra laws they made is just astounding. They, they insisted on specific prayers if there was fruit in front of you or a vegetable for certain types of meat, for bread, a prayer for a particular type of wine. And they debated the amount of food necessary to require a mealtime prayer. If you're, the food you're going to eat was the size of an olive, I imagine the olives in, in the Middle East are maybe, I think of olives like this, but I think they're pretty, pretty good, pretty juicy. But the size of an olive or bigger, then it required a mealtime prayer. They developed three prayers that you had to pray at the close of the Sabbath. You had to say a prayer if you felt an earthquake, if, if you, you heard thunder, if you saw lightning, when you saw a hill, the sea, a river, the desert. Eighteen benedictions called the tephala were required three times a day, and you had to face the Holy of Holies in the temple of Jerusalem. All going way beyond. It's not what the Lord required or asked of them. Jesus talks about babbling like the pagans. It reminds you of the priests of Baal in 1 Kings 18 when they went on and on, louder and louder. Among God's people, prayer was becoming meaningless too. Jesus' pattern for prayer was not like this. He was devoted to prayer, but it wasn't mere ritual. It wasn't based on the time of day. It could be whenever. There's no question that discipline is important for us in prayer. It's helpful to have the pattern of praying at mealtimes, when you get up, when you go to bed. But prayer is always to come from the heart. It's out of a deep relationship with the Father. Dead ritual is not real prayer. And real prayer is not about others. It's not about the show of it. Real prayer, it's about our relationship with God. This is what is behind praying in secret. Doesn't mean we can never pray in public. It's not that Jesus is against prayer services. It's that prayer is about the Lord. You know, even if you go into your room and shut the door to pray, but then in pride later let everybody know that you spend a lot of time in your prayer closet, well, you're missing real prayer too, even doing it in your prayer closet. Pray in secret. Pray in secret. The third sign of an authentic Christian is that we train in secret. And this is verses 16, 17, 18 on fasting. You might say giving in secret is a sign of authenticity in our relationship with others. Praying is a sign of authenticity in relation to God. And this is being real 
with respect to ourselves. Fasting, doing without food or drink for a period of time, it's about training. It's about self-discipline. Fasting was commanded in the Old Testament one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And then other regular days of fasting developed too. Jesus didn't emphasize it a ton, actually. In fact, people noticed that his disciples didn't fast as much as the Pharisees or John's disciples, and they called Jesus out on that. But he may not have done it as much and with the same ritual, but Jesus did fast. Fasting has been common through church history. It's possible that this is something that few of us, if any, have experience with in the modern church because we've overreacted to fasting becoming a dead ritual during the Catholic Church of the Middle Ages. So we may have overreacted to not practicing at all, but Jesus assumes his followers will do it. When you fast, not if, like, same thing as praying and giving. It seems that we're missing something if we're not doing it. Uh, Mac Weiner, who preaches here sometimes, and he teaches at Timothy, he's done some really good studying and thinking on this topic. And I'm sure if you reached out to him, he'd be happy to share his thoughts. He, he knows a lot about it. But if you look at the Bible and the church history, you find that, that fasting is, can be done in times when you're sorry for sin. It can be done when we're looking ahead preparing for something big and we want God's direction. Some people have fasted to share with those in need what they would have eaten during that time. In the hunger, in the thirsting, in fasting, there's a reminder that we're weak, that we're totally dependent on our God for everything. Fasting is about training like an athlete, self-control. And this too Jesus says he wants it done in secret, not for ourselves, not for others, for God. The wrong way to do it is thinking, now I've arrived. I'm fasting. Now I'm a serious Christian. Then you might as well not do it. Don't make it obvious, says Jesus, like the hypocrites who made sure they looked gaunt from lack of food. The point is, this is not something to make a big deal of. It's not something to broadcast. It's not about others. It's about you and your relationship with God. It's to please him. For the rest of the message, I want to ask, why? Not so much why give, pray, fast, but why the call to do these things in secret? And I I think if we get at that, It's going to help us, give us some motivation for doing these things more and better in our lives. Why? Well, first of all, because we do it because real Christians are very careful to listen to Jesus. An obvious thing to say. I'm basically saying we do this because Jesus says so. But I think that needs to be said. Jesus says to give to pray, to fast, to train in secret. And you know what? We listen to Jesus' voice. 
We take his words seriously. There are so many competing voices in this world, so many other ideas to listen to, including the ideas in our own head. We have to again and again emphasize that we, in contrast, we are people of the word of Jesus. We've got to remind ourselves of that. Remind our families of that. We have to remind our church. It's not our word that matters or the world's word or the word of popular opinion. You know, that's fine when Jesus' word is easy and helpful. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sure, I'll take that any day. But the Sermon on the Mount has tons of tough words. Loving our enemies, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. But you know, we don't pick and choose. It's all God's word. And so we listen, we follow. Even when it's unpopular, as it increasingly is today. Even when it's hard. It's unpopular even among God's people in the church to stay true to God's word, I think. But the Lord says it and we say, Okay, Jesus, you got it. You're my captain. I follow. Second, another why, real Christians know that pleasing their Father in heaven is what really matters in life. In all these areas, giving, praying, fasting, Jesus focuses us, and there's a verse or two on it, and everyone talks about our Father seeing us. The Pharisees, hypocrites, were concerned about people. Real believers don't care so much about people. Real people, real believers care about what their father sees. We don't worry about what others think. We worry about what the father thinks. That's what Jesus especially means with in secret language. We don't do it for people. We do it for our father in heaven. We have to admit that that we can care way too much what other people think. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us, The supreme matter in this life and world for all of us to realize is our relationship to God. Our main object in life should be to please God, to please Him only, to please Him always and in everything. And that's what Jesus' life shows us. He lived entirely, He lived only for the glory of God. Connected to this is that idea, Coram Deo, from a couple weeks ago. Coram Deo. We always live in the presence of God. We seek to please him. Jesus talks here about the reward that we'll get from the Father for living this way. And that makes you maybe a little uncomfortable. It does me because we know we can't earn our salvation. So Jesus can't be saying, if only we live this way, we'll get the reward of heaven. We'll get salvation as a reward. No, salvation is a free gift from God for all who believe in his son. It's not a reward. But yet, the Bible talks about reward, and and I think it's using it in a different sense. Hebrews 11 comes to mind, where you get this big list of the people who lived by faith. It says they were longing for a reward of sorts. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It seems to me that reward in this sense, refers to the blessings of God in Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord, eternal life, a close walk with God, being filled with the Spirit, and it's in a relationship with God 
That's where we receive his gifts. We seek to please him as the one who gives these gifts, not people. Finally, another why we do this in secret. Real Christians want to promote Jesus, not themselves. And this is really what it comes down to, I think. This is what it's all about. This is the difference between believers who are the real deal, those who aren't. It's the difference between wanting to see our name in lights or Jesus' name lifted high. If you've been following along in this series, this in-secret stuff might make you think back a few sermons to in Matthew 5 when Jesus calls us to be the salt and the light. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. Our verses seem to contradict Let your light shine. I mean, if we give and let others know about it, and if a building is named after a Christian, won't that encourage others to give? And why should our prayer with God be a secret? Isn't it letting our light shine to let others know that we have fellowship with God? I think the point is, And the question to ask in what we do is whose light is shining? Is it our light or is it Jesus' light? That's the question. I think that's the difference. These verses don't mean we can't thank someone for giving. doesn't mean we can't pray in a restaurant. doesn't mean that no one needs to know the discipline of our Christian walk. It's about the motive. It's about our hearts. And we can check the motive. We can check our hearts by asking what our goal is. Is our goal for Jesus to get all the praise? Jesus doesn't want us crossing the line to where the light shining begins to look more like our light instead of Jesus' light. We praise God from whom all blessings flow. We thank our veterans today. We're going to do that a little bit later. We're going to do it tonight. Of course we do. Of course we do. But we give thanks to the Lord for them. We don't want their light to shine. The veterans don't want their light to shine. We don't want our light to shine. We want Jesus' light to shine. The motive of all that we do is to give all praise to Jesus. On Oscar night, And I don't usually watch those shows. I see the news the next day, but on Oscar night or whatever all those award shows are, in major sports, many of the stars seem to want their light to shine before men. Not all of them do, but so many do that it stands out when we find these these men and women who are strong Christians. Many of the stars seem to want their light to shine before men. Jesus' word today calls us to consider whether we're about our light shining or Jesus' light. And I believe God wants us to examine that even in, I guess, the most unexpected of places, even in the very details of our spiritual life and disciplines, because it might not be so obvious there. Satan wants to get us even there with those holiest of activities, giving, praying, fasting, with the, there too we say, like we said in the Gospel of John series a couple of years ago, more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, 
less of me? Are we the real deal? Each one of us, we've got to confess all too often, we're not. But we can be more and more with Jesus' help. He's the answer for us, for the world. Let's promote Jesus and shine his light in all that we do. Amen.